Hosea chapter 3 and the five verses that are there and chapter 6 and the first three verses go together. Apart from these verses and what we've already covered, the remainder, four, five, and the rest of it, it's just the judgments. <laughs> it's just rude and harsh for the people of Israel who have turned their backs on God. How sad a time it is. You know, as we open this up with Isaiah, remember, Hosea was a contemporary of Isaiah, and it was during, uh, his call came at the time of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So, you know, this is, if you read through Isaiah in the first few chapters, though your sins be as red as scarlet, yet this shall be as white as snow. There was such treachery and wickedness in the whole nation, not just the 10 northern tribes, but also in Judah. They happened to last a little bit longer uh, in far as historically in the number of years, but they were uh, well, well on their road to, to judgment as well. And I know, as we get into this chapter, as we read, you're going to see this, this thing of betrayal. There's nothing uh, more treacherous and then I think betrayal. When you have a friend, uh, maybe even a family member, uh, and they turn their back on you, it is one of the most heinous crimes you can do to someone. You think, you know, historically, you know, Caesar, he knew they were coming against him and he stood strong for a long time because he had a trusted friend, you know, Brutus, Marcus Julius Brutus. And he favored him. He was like a son to him. And then when they become, they come to get the Caesar, he saw Brutus among them with his knife drawn. And he covered his face as he said, you too, Brutus. I mean, that is just... I just can't imagine what would have filled his heart. And of course, scripturally, when you think of betrayal, none worse than Judas spending, you know, three and a half years with Jesus. And then the one whom I kiss, you know, that's the one. And he, and Luke especially mentions this, you know, you know, friend. That's how he addresses Judas. Friend, betray the Son of Man, the one who's coming on the clouds in the glory of heaven. You're going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? The unmitigated call, right? I mean, it just, and the pain, this guy had walked with Jesus. He appeared to be something other than what he really was. And so this is the tough thing about betrayal. And... Hosea finds himself right in the middle of this as we start this chapter. He's already been told to marry uh, this adulterous, whorish woman. And then the Lord speaks to him again in chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, go again. So I tried this once. This isn't the first time. Go again. Love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. 
just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love raisin cakes of the pagans. So the idea here is that his wife has left him. She, he, quite possibly, she's involved in uh, the temple prostitution of the idolatry that was going on in the northern ten tribes. But she's living with a so-called, potentially, a friend in this adulterous situation. And, I mean, I can't imagine the thoughts would have gone through Hosea's mind. Jealousy is as a rage within a man. Now, I know women can get jealous, but I don't think it compares to the jealousy that men feel towards their wives. You trust that line, and you are in for a world of a fight. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a wall that cannot be climbed when, when that happens, and there's betrayal on that level. But he's using him as an example to the nation, just like Yahweh loves Israel. Even though they've forsaken him, they've built these altars to these pagan gods, you know, this is what the raisin cakes is all about. Remember, there's a, there's a, the daughter in verse 3 of chapter 1, the daughter of Diblium, Diblium, you know, daughter of grape cakes, or raisin cakes. And so if you look in Jeremiah chapter 7, you'll see this is what they were into, that they would, the children of Israel, they would gather their wood, as it says there, the fathers would kindle the fire, the woman would knead the dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven and put their, out their drink offerings to these gods. So they believed, you know, that just what the pagans believed, you know. They started believing that they, if they would offer these offerings to the, to the gods, then the gods who could, they believed, could manipulate the weather and, and give them the rain when they needed it to have their crops and prosper them. And so this is the spiritual adultery that is, you know, remove, is just so moving against God. He's, he's filled with anger and hurt, disappointment just as Hosea would be towards his wife. And then he says to him, go again and love this woman. Keep loving her. But you're going to have to buy her. Not only do you have to go and face this situation, but you've got to buy her out of the slave market, as it were. So I bought her for myself 15 with 15 shekels of silver and the one-half omers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. And so too, I will be towards you. So he's saying, uh, "Look, you're gonna. This isn't something that is just. You're here for the weekend, sweetie. You're not going back to that guy. I'm your husband, and you're staying here, and we're going to be together. This is the commitment that God has made to the nation of Israel." He's not going to forsake them. This replacement theology, the, the, the thoughts of man, the doctrine of men, and, and that's all in covenant theology and all, I mean, so miss it. I don't know how you can miss the scriptures in, in Romans 11 and throughout. Is, has he cast off Israel forever? No. Blindness in part has happened until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. When he's done with the body of Christ and, and this 
age of grace, this period of grace, the church period, when the bride is complete, then he'll turn his spirit again. Um, and, you know, we, so we've been talking about what's going on in the world. What happens if this is, uh, we're at the, are we at the beginning of Ezekiel 38, 39? And we know what happens there is the spirit is put upon Israel. And their eyes are opened, and they realize that Jesus is their Messiah. And then we know all hell breaks loose shortly thereafter. Another reason why that we believe that the church will not be here, because where is the Spirit residing now? The Spirit is upon the church. You know, he's got two select groups that he's working with. One will be complete, and he'll be ushered out, and he'll begin to finish the 70th week of Daniel with the nation of Israel. And this sort of ties into what we see here in the following verses here. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king or prince, without a sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return, seek the Lord their God, and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. So they're hearing this message from the prophet. And there may have been some repentant hearts. I'm sure there was. I'm sure there were people that heard the message and repented. In fact, there were a lot of people that were in the northern ten tribes that left. And they kind of relocated closer to Jerusalem so they could be they wanted the true worship of God. So not everybody of all those tribes over all the years perished. Some of the people did repent and come. You know, we have no idea. It's not really recorded, but there was a, uh, an openness there. In fact, that's why Jeroboam, who st- set the whole thing up, did what he did because he didn't want them to go back to Jerusalem and worship there because he knew that if that happened, they would... Their hearts would become soft and pliable. They would repent, and then the, the country would reunite, and he would lose his, his authority, his, his throne. So it tells you what that's all about. But notice here, uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot to really kind of unpack there. Number one is, again, he's speaking this truth. Look, I'm your husband. This is one of the things that Israel has to come to grips with, that God is their husband. They belong to God. They are God's people. He has not cast them off forever. I don't know, I don't know how the Orthodox Jews feel. I don't know how... Uh, there's a lot of atheist Jewish people. I mean, it's just that whole thing's an oxymoron if you think about it. <laughs> the greatest one of ever. You're an atheist as a Jew. Your very existence proves there is a God. It's just like... I could never get my mind quite around that one. But the whole thing is that Jesus, think about what Jesus paid the price for our whoredom. He paid the price, you know, and bought us out of slavery so we could be redeemed. And this is really what it's about. God is going to redeem. This is a story of redemption. He's going to take this erring wife of harlotry and he's going to restore her just like the Lord has done for us as his children. Israel's future is that they're, they're going to be without a king. What has happened? 
since that time. There was, there was no kings after they went into captivity. No more kings. There has not been a king since then. I would say, you know, I'm not sure, I can't remember the exact date, uh, five, 545 B.C., when Judah finally was taken captive to Babylon, 70 years later, no king. Leaders, priests, strong leaders sometimes, no king. I would say, and then you attack on another 2,000 years, just quite a few years without a king, would you not say? That's many days without a prince, without a leader. And then, when was the temple destroyed? What year? 70 AD. That's many days without a sacrifice. Oh, they're talking about the red heifer all the time, aren't they? They're wanting to bring all that back. Well, that may happen. Who knows? We may not see it as the church, but they're working towards that. Not a sacred pillar, without an ephod, no priest, without a teraphim. That's the household gods. The little thing that would represent the idol, the demon that they would worship in the, from the unseen realm. You know, this is, they're, they're living in this rebellion against God and it's going to remain their attempt. They're going to form their own religion and attempt to reach God during this vacancy, as it were. And they will, then it says afterwards. I think this is a very important verse to understand when it comes to, and this is why I'm a dispensationalist. I think God has divided things up into different epochs of time. One economy, he works this way, and another economy, he's working another way. Look at afterward. At some point in time, the children of Israel shall return. What are they going to do? They're going to seek the Lord. I do not see Israel seeking the Lord. They are blind. Their hearts are hard. And, you know, they're suffering. And this, the, what is going on in our world today over there right now is just another result of their rebellion and they're turning their back on God. I feel, it makes us, you feel so bad and we're praying for God's mercy and he is merciful. That they're still in existence and still have a nation, it shows you that God is merciful. They're going to seek the Lord their God and David their king. Now, what does he mean by David? Is he talking about King David? I think he's, he's speaking of, of the real, the second David, if you will. Ezekiel 34, 23 and 24 says, I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them. This is Ezekiel 34, verses 23 and 24. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And so at some point in time, they're going to return to the Lord, they're going to seek the Lord, and they're going to be with David, their king. And they're going to, the fear of the Lord is going to once again grip the nation, which is what needs to happen. And they will fear his goodness. But notice what it says here, in the latter days. Now, 
there is this day equals a thousand years, a thousand years equal one day. We know that's in the Psalms. We know that that's uh, some, sort of the traditions of, of some of the rabbis and, uh, in, the, uh, in Judaism. Uh, when you th- think in terms of one day being a thousand years, yeah, a thousand years being a day, and you think of the verse that the Lord will do a quick work on the earth. Now, if, from a man's perspective, are you kidding me? <laughs> thousands, this has been going on. The program of God's been going on for thousands of years. But for those of us who think that man has been on, mankind has been on the earth for about 6,000 years at this point in time, that would be equivalent to six days. And we're in the last hour of that sixth day, it appears. And what's the seventh day? It's a day of rest. It'll be the day when Yahweh comes and rules and reigns and sits on the throne. And we have that thousand-year reign. And seven, one week will complete the work that God's doing with man in this fallen state. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Basically, the earth will be remodeled and made fit for eternity. And there'll, there'll be a little upgrade during that last thousand years, uh, as we see in the scripture. But this, in the latter days, at the end, near the end of God's program, Israel will turn and repent. Now let's go to chapter 6, because 4 and 5 are just continuing judgments, which we'll get into later. But let's look at these three verses that I believe are tied together with this. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will rise us up, raise us up, that we will live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord, his going forth to establish as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. And this is, again, one of the reasons why I believe that there will be an outpouring of God's Spirit near the end of time, the end of the program, the end of the age. We have the former rain for the church Speaking in the context of the church, the former reign would have been the outpouring of the Holy Spirit when? The day of Pentecost. When the church is being gathered up and the gospels reach the four corners of the earth and the gospels preached and the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, I think that is the, the latter reign. There'll be an outpouring of God's Spirit and a, and a, and a final gathering and harvest to gather His bride together. Now, in regards to Israel, because I have this separation in my own, my theology, I have the church is a separate entity that consists of both Jew and Gentile since the day of Pentecost until the day the rapture takes place. We have Israel prior to that date. We have the nation of Israel who will receive the Holy Spirit and their hearts will be enlightened and they'll turn back to God. And that's Ezekiel 38 and 39 that we referred to earlier. And God will fulfill Daniel's 9, 70th week that remains to be fulfilled. But notice here, after two days, 
He will revive us. It's been almost 2,000 years since Jesus died on the cross and the day of Pentecost. It's been a full two days. Saturday night, guys. <laughs> well, I guess it'd be Friday night <laughs> from a Jewish perspective, right? You got six days are complete, just about complete. In the, and then what does it say? On the third day, he will raise us up that we might live in his sight. I don't know about you, but that means I get to see, they, the Jewish people will see Emmanuel, God with us. That's what, Jesus, that's what the, the reign is. He's going to reign out of Jerusalem. Jesus will sit on the throne in Jerusalem, and he will reign with the 12 apostles over the 12 tribes of Israel. He, he, people are going to see Jesus for a thousand years sitting upon his throne, ruling and reigning. In his sight. I don't know how much plainer it could be. But it only says that really here. Really? How many times does God have to say something for it to be true? That's sufficient for me. I know that he's going to rule and reign. We have that in Revelation as well, if you want to add to this text here. Come, let us return. That's the key. That's the key. You want to know when, when Israel's awakened and they see, then you know that the end is near. <laughs> when Israel repents and they turn to Yahweh and he puts his spirit back upon that nation, you know it's not too far away. They'll confess. That's what they're going to do. He has torn. We deserved it. We turned our back on him. We worshiped these gods, these false gods. But he's healed. You know, I got a feeling that when they heard this message, they thought that it was going to be quick. Okay, we're sorry, Lord. We're going to turn. You know, maybe Gomer had a, you know, a, a, a bit of repentance, you know. Okay, I'm sorry, Hosea. I won't do it anymore. And then, you know, how people are. When war breaks out, everybody comes to church. <laughs> and then when the war, oh, well, I remember this so vividly. We were living in Southern California when the first Gulf War broke out. And I mean, big church, but it, there was sitting room, there was standing room only at Costa Mesa. Courtyard. Courtyard. I mean, it was just packed. You know, you roll the clock past 100 days. Well, I guess the Lord's not coming back. And then back to normal. This is what people do. That isn't true repentance, by the way. You know, this will be true repentance that we're talking about. He is torn. I mean, I don't know about a people that have been more torn and more... What's the word I want? Blistered by the tribulation than the Jewish people. What they have endured and... What we're seeing this past week, it's more of the same. Just This has been happening. There, people have been shot, murdered, raped, pillaged for, for the last 2,000 years it's been going on in, in a major scale. I would say that that's understating it. He has torn. 
You know, and this is exactly what he said would happen to them by the mouth of Moses. If you turn from me, if you turn your back and you forget me and you fail to exercise loyal love, this is what you can expect. Leviticus 28, man, it's just heavy, heavy stuff. And so this is, um, this to me gives me hope. If you want a little bit of a timetable, because Israel is God's time clock. They're the timepiece. You want to know where we're at in God's program? Look at the nation of Israel. But he'll come like rain, and this is what I think we can at least pray for as well. He'll come like rain. And what does rain do? We're going to get some of that tonight, by the way. About midnight through the night, it's going to rain pretty hard. But our, what do we need rain for? I mean, things are dry right now. We need refreshed. If the church ever needed the Lord to rain upon his church, it's right now. We need that revival. We need a, a turning back to God. You know, we've got a bunch of Sunday. In our own church here, we've got a bunch of Sunday morning people only. And it's the craziest thing. It, it, I don't know. I mean, I just remember when I came to the Lord, it's like, I want to be with my brothers and sisters. I want to see God move. I want to be close to God. And there's nothing like worshiping together as the body of Christ. It is special. For me, it's like if I don't have a Wednesday night, I don't think I could have a good Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, I just, they're all tied together. But he'll come in like the latter and the former rain. Boy, I am just hoping and praying. And think about that in your own life. Remember when you were first saved. There's a pattern here. When you, when you first came to the Lord, it was the former rain. And what did he do? When you were really repentant and broken he poured out his spirit upon you yes you had been torn through your sins but he healed and there was an overflow and a zeal you couldn't read your bible enough you couldn't pray enough you couldn't witness enough and you couldn't be in church enough you were on fire boy i think the fire's kind of gone out in the lives of many christians at least in the western culture so I'm praying for that latter rain. Now that we've gone, we, those of us who, who aged in the Lord, we're getting we're closer to the end than we are from the beginning, right? <laughs> There's a lot more days uh, behind us than in front of us, if we're pretty sure of that one in regards to life as we are experiencing it. And I'm ready for the latter rain in my own life. I want the Lord to pour out his spirit upon me. I want to finish strong and finish well. You know, there's, I'd rather burn out for the Lord than rust out. You know, just we should be filled and be praying for that kind of zeal and joy. Let him rain on us and refresh us and reinvigorate us for things to come. Make us ready. You know, and this is the thing. It's like, though, you think about that parable of the wise uh, virgins and the foolish virgins. You cannot, people think they're just automatically going to get spiritual. Oh, when, the, you know, things get tough, then I'll just, then I'll really start seeking the Lord. That's, that's no different than when you hear people when they're young and you witness to them. and say, well, you know, I, I'll get right with the Lord when I, later, but right now I just want to have fun. 
That's the same, that's the same mentality. That's the same type of an excuse saying, well, you know, I don't really need to. I've got stuff that I want to do. And they aren't really preparing themselves. You, you don't autom- you know, automatically become spiritual you know, in two hours. It has to be a conditioned lifestyle that's developed on our knees day after day after day. And this is, it's going to be sad because faith comes by hearing. You have to give yourself to the word. If you want to have strong faith, you've got to give yourself to the word. And it's not this casual inquirer that's rewarded. What does it say? It's the diligent seeker. And I want to pray for our church that, that there's a repentance, that there's a change. Because the way things are, are right now, it's all, it's all facade. I mean, let's look at it for what it really is. I'm not deceived. I've been concerned for quite some time. There's a lot of emotional, yeah, this is fun, exciting. But do you really have faith? As Paul exhorted the, the Corinthians, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of carnality going on in some of their lives. Like, check yourself. Let's paraphrase, right? Check yourself. Are you really in the faith? The way they were ripping Paul and criticizing him and, you know, I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and the carnality, but yet we think we're spiritual because we operate in the gifts, all this kind of thing. And I'm not saying this is necessarily all of our church, but this, these are the characteristics of the Western culture and church. And there, there, there's a lack. May God help us. I, you know what? I'm kind of glad in one sense that... that we're living in uncertain times because that causes people to think. Where am I going to be? What if this happens? What if this, you know, I know I'm going to have to trust the Lord. I don't know about you, but it, it's a provocation in my life. Like, man, I, you know, I don't care about all these voices and what people think is happening. Lord, in the quiet, what are you saying to me? What are you showing your servant? What do you want me to do? Paul never stopped asking this question. He asked it when he got knocked off his horse on the way to, to Damascus. Lord, what would you have me to do? That's the best question any of us can ever ask the Lord. And I would, would to God that everyone in our congregation here begins to ask that question. Because we have a lot of age in the Lord here. But I don't know how much, I'm, I'm, I question sometimes the maturity level, because mature people serve. And we have a number of people serving. I'm not criticizing that. But we really need to pray, because there needs to be a there, you know, show me your faith by what? It's your works. There's going to be a demonstration. There's going to be fruit. You know, there's, you know, lip service doesn't mean anything, right? It's when a brother's in need, I'm there. I have a compassion and a care for someone in need, you know, and that's expressed. And I, I thank God there's a lot of that taking place in our church. But it should, you know, should it not be at a greater level, I think there's always room for growth in that area. So with that, let's spend some time praying. And we know what needs prayer. <laughs> um, we need to pray for the Athey family. They're going to